0: sit and listen to all that exciting stuff. Tim, night
1: on the sixteenth. That's at Ben and Lindsay's house. Oh. <laughs> and, and that's it's gonna be just a night of singing praise to God. Oh, yeah.
0: And when anybody is welcome on
1: the sixteenth, Friday. And if you play oh. an instrument or know a song, go we'll ring it with you. Okay. Is that right? Six? Six. I don't know that sounds so, that's, great. That sounds great. That's what he has on the Okay. Down there. Six. Is it a text? Sorry. No, it's on my camera it. I'm glad it was on there. I remember talking about it and I was like, did we set it? Did we not? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Kenny was practicing a
0: couple times today. We? Uh, We're having a, like, just a worship. I'm sorry, I'm having problems up here getting some list to connect. There we go. There we go. Is this what you're doing tonight? Yes, because we're gonna we're gonna spend we're gonna spend we're gonna spend at least one more night talking about this. So
1: that's what I was talking about.
0: Oh that's where it was. Okay. Okay. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive in. Father, we're thankful for the evening, thankful for the good time around the table, the food that was provided, and even more so for the conversation and fellowship, and we just ask now as we turn to your word that you'd help us to be able to think clearly, and that we might benefit from our time in your word, and how it might uh, impact the way we think about ourselves and our lives in this world, and we thank you for it, amen. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, just to kind of jump back in so you can see where, we were, where we're jumping off from, we looked at this last week. In verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, Now the God of peace, may he sanctify you completely or wholly, the whole of you, the spirit and the soul and the body. One of the things eventually you learn in, when you're studying Greek for those of you that are taking the Greek class, is oftentimes if you take a series of nouns and you put a definite article in front of each one of them and then you put an and in it, you're really setting each one of those apart. So you're saying the spirit and the soul and the body. And you have a good example here of how, while they all might share a connection, they all also are distinct. And so we started looking at this last week because we looked through a series of scriptures that really distinguish these where we can see spirit and soul together. Very, very few people have a problem with the immaterial and the material. That's pretty obvious when we come to the Word of God. The problem is, is as we were saying, both within those people who are Christians as well as Christendom at large, a lot of times this distinction between the spirit and the soul is blurred, and these two are made really one and the same thing. Spirit's just a different way of talking about soul, souls are just a different way of talking about the spirit. And yet what we looked at last week is we have several passages that actually put spirit and soul in the same passage talking about distinct aspects of who we are. And then we have the body. Now, is this a perfect illustration? No. Uh, Josh knows that. (laughs) Josh has taught on this. Jim's mentioned this when he's taught on this. And if you've ever studied this before, we use this this diagram. We don't know that this is a good way to look at this. I had a professor when I was in seminary that... That he, he did this for us once just to throw us. Never guess I was an art major, would you? Uh, here's a person. That's the body, right? And he said, what if this is the spirit? You get the point? What if the spirit is actually maybe just a hair larger than your body? He's not saying it is. He was just asking. The Bible doesn't tell us. The extent of the spirit doesn't tell us whether it's... Because we always think the spirit's up here in our head, like it's connected to your brain. Probably has a connection to your brain. But how do you know that it's it doesn't permeate the entirety of your being? And how do you know it maybe doesn't extend beyond you? It's not sensory, so it's like I can't tell the computer's there even though my finger's an inch away. You know, things like that. It's just just trying to get you to realize and think about... We have limitations in what the Bible does say, but we can look at what, or, or yes, there's limitations as far as what we can deduce specifically from it. Beyond that, we could, this is speculation, because we don't know. We don't know. And how well this represents that, that relationship between these three, again, we don't know. Uh, God knows, but we do know that there is an interaction and there is a relationship between these. Two of the other things that I've added here that we haven't, we're not going to get into in our study for the most part here, is the fact that that the mind, there's an aspect of the mind that's connected to the body or flesh. There's an aspect of mind with the spirit, and we do have a passage that doesn't connect the soul, but we have two separate passages that say the same thing: one about the mind with, or one about uh, an attack with relationship to the soul, and then a similar statement about the attack with the mind. And that's one of the reasons, and I, looking through all of these again, um, back a few weeks ago, I was thinking, huh, that kind of connects these two. And then we have the heart, and the heart is, so this is where you think through things, but the heart is where you end up making decisions. And is this a clear-cut distinction in here? Again, um, I don't know. I'll just be real honest. Uh, when I was younger I was very adamant yeah oh yeah this is the way it is (laughs) and then the study you study scripture more and you're like well this is what I can say and sometimes we stick our necks. what it could be that's the thing is I don't know I'm just saying this is kind of a popular diagram is it perfect no I'm sure that there we could we could uh, um, do that a little bit we could Finesse that a little bit more. In fact, I don't know. Do I have? There's, there's Josh's chart on the, that he laminated and gave to me uh, many years ago that he made. You, I, can you all see that really well from where you are? <laughs> anyway, if you want to look at that, you can come up and take a look at Josh's chart. And Josh doesn't have a diagram like that. He has boxes and then he has arrows just kind of showing connections between things. So it's just a different way of representing in a visual manner what we read from the Word of God. So the last week, what we call the decider, right? The, yes, right, where we make it's where we make decisions. Now I want to uh, I want to kind of pick up where we left off last week, and I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, fourteen. And I'm just going I'm just going to say this: if you look at this, and you it, some people think that when you go to seminary. You talk about these hard things in the Bible, and it's kind of like how many angels can you stand on the head of a pin, you know? And so, for the a- average guy that's out there doing average stuff, I help Dwight straighten concrete forms today, you know, tighten a string and tapping them over and such. I mean, that's, this is most of us, this is where we live. Our, our world is doing those things. But this kind of stuff is not esoteric. It's not how many angels can you stand on the head of a pin. It's something that when you really understand this, this just really helped me understand a lot of aspects of my Christian life when I came to understand the difference between my spirit and my soul and why sometimes I seemed to think like this and why sometimes I was thinking like this and why I had these struggles. I didn't understand all of that. And hopefully, as we're going through this, If that's something that you've had wondered about with regard to yourself, maybe you'll understand it better. Now this is an interesting statement that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you remember last week we were in 1 Corinthians 2.11 and in 1 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says that it's with your spirit that a man knows the things of the man. So you know objectively the things that are going on in you with your spirit. It's not that you experience those things. It's not that you're sensing them with your soul. You're objectively knowing those. Everybody understands the difference between subjectively knowing something and objectively knowing it. Objectively knowing it is, that is a box of Kleenexes. It says Kleenex on it. So I have that, but it's a cue. That's objective knowledge. Have you ever seen advertisements for food in magazines and you think i've eaten at that restaurant and that food never looks like that when they bring it out to the table (laughs) it might taste good but it never looks that good and did you know that a lot of times when photographers are setting up those things to take pictures of maybe a big hamburger that they have stuff that they put in that picture that's not edible they don't put maybe real ketchup they might put some other substance that they find out that you think looks like ketchup more than ketchup does. And that's what they're selling you on, see? So you objectively think, oh, they just went into McDonald's and they just ordered up a hamburger and threw it on a plate and took some pictures of it, but they didn't. They're in a studio and they faked up something that looks ideally like what, what they want you to come and buy. What? Not that thing that you unwrap it out of the box or the paper and it's like mashed down and <laughs> there is a patty in there somewhere. You know, uh, that kind of a thing. And so, so objectively looking at a thing like that, you could be fooled. You can be, you could, if you're trying to go by, subjectively you're going to touch it, it's going to be different. Now that doesn't happen with you. Objective knowledge is just on the outside looking at a thing and this is, this is what I can take in. I'm not subjective, I'm not feeling it. I'm not interacting with it knowing it that way. Now that's what we saw about the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 2.11 last week, but now we come to chapter 14, and he's going to kind of throw a wrench in the works for us. And he's talking about a problem of tongues, and it's not that tongues were bad, and let's just be clear on what tongues is. Tongues is speaking in a foreign language. It's not speaking in some bizarre language. It's speaking in a foreign language. That's what tongues was. So when you go to Acts chapter 2, You've got all these Jews that have showed up for the day of Pentecost, and they're all in are you know, thousands and thousands of Jews. But, he, but Luke goes through and tells us all the parts of the Roman Empire that they've come from. And if they've come from those different parts of the empire, do you think they just all speak Hebrew? In fact, some of them probably weren't even hardly raised speaking Hebrew. They probably were raised. Speaking Well, we've got some of them that came from as far away as what we would know Spain. Were they speaking Spanish as we know it today? Well, maybe not. Some of them, but they might have been speaking Latin. Latin is kind of the predecessor to Spanish. And you got some from, from down in Africa. and They might have been speaking some of the tongues down there. So all the thing is, is when these people at the day of Pentecost are filled by the Spirit and they're speaking in these languages, people, they're hearing them, they're going... I'm hearing them talk about the great things of God in my language, in my language. How's that guy, guy know my language? So that's what he's talking about tongues. Now think about that, that's pretty cool. I've spent several months doing Rosetta Stone, trying to learn Spanish. It's making some progress, but it's work, it's work. Do you imagine if you were given the supernatural gift that you could just, Josh and Faye don't have to go and learn the the language on that island. They could show up, God give them the gift of tongues, and boom, now they can talk to those people in their native tongue. What? Yeah, yeah, they could translate the Bible and everything for them. That would be great. So it was kind of a cool thing for people to have this ability. And so he says in verse 13, wherefore, let one... Speak in a tongue, let him pray, in order that he may interpret. In other words, if you're gonna speak in another language, you need somebody to be able to tell you what did they say. Any of you ever watched the TV show MASH? Okay, my wife and I used to like MASH. My family liked MASH when I was growing up. MASH takes place supposedly during the Korean War. It's like Korean people that are speaking in there. My aunt's married to uh, my uncle, William, is Korean. And I asked him once, I said, do they speak real Korean? He goes, yeah, that is real Korean that they speak, that those actors speak in there. Sometimes it's people that I don't think really grew up speaking a lot of Korean because it's kind of dicey, but he says, yeah, it's real Korean. I wouldn't know, but see, he can interpret for me and he can tell me what they're saying, but I wouldn't know if they're just faking it. And so he says, pray that it, it might be interpreted. Verse 14, for if I pray, by means of a tongue, and that word pray there is this word worship that we saw earlier here in this text. Um, for if I pray or worship with a tongue, my spirit prays. In other words, in the realm of my spirit, I know objectively I'm saying something good about God because this is not coming from me. I am not originating this. I'm not, co- I'm not thinking about what I have to pray. Unlike you, if I asked you to pray right now, you'd probably go on, uh, Tim wants me to pray what, what do I say what, what, what should I say uh, uh, <laughs> you know is that maybe you're not like that remember as a kid our pastor used to call on us to pray afterwards he'd call on the men and the boys so you got to the end of the service you knew he was going to do that and I would venture to say most of the men and boys were doing this grab the front pew and going if I'm looking down he won't call on me <laughs> Tim Holster oh. <laughs> and then you'd have to close and then you're sweating they're thinking oh don't say something stupid now Uh But see, what he says is, see, if they're praying in tongues, they know they're saying something good about God. We could go back to Acts chapter 2, and that's what they did with tongues. They, They said good things about God. They know they're doing it, but notice what he says. But my mind here, this mind part, he says is unfruitful. In other words, in my mind, I don't know precisely what I'm saying. I know I'm saying something good about God, but I don't know precisely what it is. Am I talking about God's love? Am I talking about his goodness? Am I talking about his creative power? I don't know. So here's a place where you can see that a person in the realm of your spirit, even though there's things objectively you know, such as you know you're saying something about God, you may not with your mind be able to experientially say, ah, this is precisely what I'm saying. And so you may not be able to put your finger right on it. So there's a, this is a, it's a good illustration of the fact that even though your spirit is this part of you that kind of has this subjective knowledge, it doesn't necessarily always mean that it has um, subjective knowledge, that it, that it actually is interacted with the thing to experientially know precisely what is ex- precisely taking place in that situation. And this is a good example of a limitation With regard to speaking in tongues, so then Paul goes on to say, "What therefore, then, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will psalm with my spirit, and I will psalm with my mind." In other words, Paul says, "If there's not someone around to interpret, I want to know what I'm saying. That would be my preference. So I'm not only going to just say it with the realm in the realm of my spirit, but I also want to say it with my mind, so I objectively know, so I subjectively can know what I'm saying." Does everybody get that? Is that clear, what he's trying to say there? That in the realm of your spirit, you can do something and in a general sense, you kind of know what this is, but you can't really explain it all that well, okay? Uh, You don't know the the precise details of exactly what you've said and he would like to be able to function in both of those. We have another example down in the context um, where he says something very similar. We're gonna go to Ephesians chapter four Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4 in verse 23, and he's encouraging these believers to not be functioning the way the Gentiles do, and by Gentiles he's now referring to unbelievers because a lot of this church ended up being formed out of people that were of a Gentile background and he says in verse 23 not only to put off their former conduct but in verse 23 and to be renewed and a lot of your Bibles are going to say in the spirit of your mind but I would understand that to be renewed by the spirit of your mind in other words because this part which we looked at a little bit last week because this part has been affected by salvation you're supposed to let this part of your mind. So this is a, this this is part of what goes on with the mind. It feeds into this. Let this part renew you. Now this is what this this is significance of this, because there are things that God has taught you in His Word that you can objectively think, even when in the realm of your feelings you might feel this way. You need to bring to bear what you can objectively know over here. And you need to bring that to bear on the way you think and decide and function. And this is what he's asking them to do. To kind of put this in in context, you've got kind of a conflict in this church between people that come out of a Jewish background and people that come out of a Gentile background. And now they're all part of this one body and they're kind of doing this. And some of them are thinking, well, you guys are latecomers. We've been the people of God for 2,000 years since God chose our father Abraham. Now you are latecomers to the party. And the Gentiles might thinking, yeah, well, you, they might be like a lot of Christians have been through the centuries. Well, you're the ones that put Christ on the cross. You know? That's what they remember. They've been calling Jews one way or another Christ killers for centuries. And so you might have these conflicts. We do know they're having conflicts and you might have to objectively be renewed over here and say, you know what? This is what I know. Even though right now, this is not the way I feel. This is not the way I feel right here. We're all part of one body and it doesn't make any difference what background we came from. It matters where we are right now. This is the only thing that matters is who God says we are now. And that would be one way that they would be renewed by the spirit of their mind. Tim, and then, is this the same word for renewedness that's in Romans 12? Um, Romans 12 too. Let me take a quick gander. I, off the top of my head, I can't remember here. Josh is saying, okay. Josh says it's different. <laughs> it, it is. It is the, no, no, this is on a neo and that's on a I was thinking this was on a of. So um, this this word, the emphasis of this word is that this is something that's fresh in this instance. So in other words, you might be renewed again and again, and maybe you need to be renewed in your spirit tomorrow because your mind drifts back to the way you were used to thinking. That's the Ephesians one. That's the Ephesians one. So, so it I believe. That, it died before. Right. Yeah.
1: Whereas, uh, Romans 12 is it's completely Completely
0: new. Right. And he's talking about the state of the mind, that the mind is, or the spirit, or you have a renewed quality, has been renewed, that's settled. Here he's saying you need to let that affect you. Now let's, I want to look at um, two passages that I'm pretty sure we did not look at last week. And I want to go back, first of all, to John 3. I thought I hit this, but as I'm saying this, I don't recall seeing this in my notes when I was looking back through these. John 3, this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And this is the two two times, verses 3 and verse 5, where he talks about being born. Once when he says being born from above in verse 3, and then in verse 5, he says being born from water, even the Spirit. And then he explains in verse 6. This is John 3, in verse 6. He says, and having been born that or that which is born from flesh is flesh. You and I all had mom and daddies. We all had belly buttons and we inherited this nature from our moms and dads. But the Holy Spirit's not a man. He's not physical. He doesn't have, not physical, not physical. That's, he's always emphasizing God, God being spirit. And he says that which is born from spirit is spirit. So the new birth, what the new birth did was, it in some way affected the spirit part of who you are. When you went through the new birth, when that happened, and that happened the very moment that you believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and he rose again, when you believed the gospel, and you believed that to be saved, the Holy Spirit affected your human spirit. He caused a birth in the realm of your spirit. Didn't cause a birth in the body, didn't cause a birth in the soul. It caused a birth in the realm of your spirit. Now, what did he do? Let's go to First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six, and it doesn't say that the spirit does it immediately here, but you find that the spirits, uh, you find that the spirits involved in this as you go down into verse nineteen. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and um, uh, let's see, where do I want to, let's go to verse 6, let's go to verse 15, let's go to verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So therefore shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Let it never be. Or do you not know that the one who cleaves himself or joins himself to a prostitute is one body? That word there, cleave, or joins himself, is the same word that's used for a husband and wife coming together. And he's saying, that's what's happening here. By the way, I really think this is an incredibly important passage for Christians to maybe wrap your minds around that. I never thought of growing up, but the very fact that Paul mentions this means this was a problem that was going on in their church. And we think today, are you kidding me? We, we've, got, we've got this idea that in order to be saved, it's like you got to be perfect. <laughs> no, you got to believe in Jesus Christ. And there were people that weren't perfect. So he actually has to tell guys to cut this out. And I've said this before at church here. If, you, if I got up in front of church and said, guys, cut this out, everybody would be going, what in the world? I can't believe that's going on. But it was going on here. Anyway, that's kind of an aside. It's not the main reason we're here. But it's, but it's a good, but it's just a good illustration of the fact that Christians aren't perfect. And Christians do things that we just, I mean, we just out and out look at, that's just completely inappropriate. And they do it from things like this all the way down to things that sometimes we go, oh, we just wink at that. But from God's point of view, some of those things we wink at are as serious as this. Anyway, verse 17. Now he uses the same word that he used for joining that talks about a husband and wife coming together and then uses it of the man in verse 16. He says in verse 17, and the one that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. See, when a man joined himself to a prostitute, it's a physical union between two physical bodies. But here we're not joined to the Lord where we're being physically attached that the Lord comes down there and I can feel a shoulder right up against me or something like that. I'm being joined in the realm of my spirit. And so when the spirit affected this birth that Jesus was referring to in John 3, he joined God's spirit essence to my spirit essence. Did you ever get this when you are in seminary, Josh? <laughs> i still remember one of our we had the same professor for theology i think it is so he was he knit our spirit to his spirit so i still that's the picture i just see in my mind but however he did that god's spirit is now joined to ours and it makes our spirit alive so that in the realm of our spirit we're not dead anymore which we could have looked at that there in ephesians 4 in that same passage he says before before you were saved we were dead we were dead from God's point of view. We were irres- unresponsive over here. Somebody could talk to us and tell us the gospel just as crystal clear. And it goes in one ear and right out the other. We just don't make sense of, it. Yeah, yeah, in the mind, yeah. Were you gonna ask a okay, question? So- Well, there are different ways that he looks at it, but when he causes the new birth to take place, it's in that same way that he looks at it as causing us to have life in the realm of our spirit. Yes.
1: If you define death as separation, and you're reborn again, there's no more separation. You're united. So then it's the whole basis for the Christian way of life because it's a promise of God. That you believe something that he says that we can't see, but you act in a different way because of it. Mm-hmm. Ben. So, so, so this renewing, when you is that's why you need to renew is because of 2 Corinthians 7.1 where you have the filthiness of the flesh?
0: We're gonna we're saving that one. I've got that on my next page. I don't know if we'll get that to that tonight, but we're 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 going there because we're gonna look because we're eventually gonna look at problems of the spirit, problems of the soul. Problems of the soul is more prominent, but that's one of them. And I you really had to make me think when you asked that question a couple of years ago. <laughs> you asked that of Richard, I think, wasn't it? And I was just like, I yeah, yeah.
1: Only a soul and a body? I mean, there are a soul and a body and a dead spirit. No. 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 It's, no. A, spirit. it's, a, it's a dirty spirit. Right. So we're I'm stop talking this is, this, is, this is a safe person that's
0: felt I don't care about the same person. So that means that that, <laughs> the same person has the spirit, but it's filthy, filthy. <laughs> it's extra dirty? Yeah, Extra dirty. <laughs> but is it a lie? It, let's let's go back to Ephesians 4, since we didn't really look at that verse when we were there. I think I know what you're asking. Are you, are you asking, can an unsaved person use their spirit?
1: Soul and body. Oh, they, everybody's, everybody's yeah. Yeah. Right. So your spirit is dead. So what is it doing? Yes. That means separate Your spirit, spirit is intellect. So they have you know, thought but. process. Like your, your spirit is the up. part of you that can relate to things that you can't use through your five senses. Your soul takes the five senses: what you see, what you hear, smell, taste, all that. Your spirit doesn't need that. They can relate to things outside of that realm. Even okay. though you haven't experienced it. Right. Okay. 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 So that's, that's why we're so different than animals. animals. Yeah, it's yeah. are different from animals. Right. So when an unsaved person can't do that, right? Oh, an person oh, Yes, they, can't. They, can't. They, can't. They, can. they can. The point of the death is not that they can't function, use a human spirit. Okay. The point of the death is their spiritually yes. they death they're separated from, from God. 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 So right. let's so okay, go ahead. Then.
0: Go ahead and finish. Just they're kidding.
1: separated from God and they're not able to, like in Ephesians 4, which he's coming to, oh, I won't steal this. Yeah. <laughs> everybody turn to <laughs> Ephesians
0: 4 if you, while you're listening to Josh, because we're going to look Ephesians at these. Four. We're going to go back.
1: The point is, in reference to God, their spirit is useless. Yeah. In reference to God. Yeah. So, so they can be religious, right. and they can say they believe in God, but they don't believe in the God. And if the fact that they have that spirit, even though it's not saved, is why they search out for all sorts of other religious types of things, whether yes. it be demonic or just regular religion or whatever. Yeah. They're always searching for something to fill that hole. Right. It might be sports or music or whatever. Right? right?
0: Yes. <laughs> Let's, yes. <laughs> Let's look over in Ephesians chapter 4. And we just kind of jumped into that verse down there about being renewed, but this is what he says in verse um, verse 17. Therefore I say and I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk or live your lives like the Gentiles walk in the vanity or the futility of their minds. Now, he uses the word minds, but the, we have three words for vanity in Greek in the New Testament. And this word means without outcome. In other words, they can take all the same information in that you do. But when it's processed and it comes out, what, out, what comes out is something useless. Something that is not going to, that is no help. Okay. But
1: not necessarily from the world's view.
0: Yeah, they might find it, yeah. They might applaud you for it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So he goes on. And this is what he explains. They're darkened in their thinking. So some of your Bibles say darkened in their mind. But... The word mind is in verse 17. This is, this is interesting. Because you're learning Greek. So I'll, uh, I'll show you. Here's our, here's our word mind. Okay? Here's our word mind. Noose. Hey,
1: make her say it. No, no, we're not
0: doing Greek class right now. This is...
1: I could have said it. I know. I know.
0: From this we have the word dia noia. And noia is just a version of this. Dia is, if you look at this as a mind... Dia means
1: through.
0: Yeah, I know that. Okay. And so when you're talking about this, it's talking about what goes through the mind. What goes through the mind? Thoughts. It's your thoughts. So Deanoia is referring to the thinking. It's talking about the thoughts. And he says they are darkened in their thoughts. In other words, it's like the lights off. When they're thinking about something, the lights off in there. When they're
1: thinking about
0: Scripture. It's thinking about these things with regard to God. Because they are then alienated from the life of God. See, an unsaved person, they don't have this union with God. So here in in their thinking, in their mind, they're darkened. They don't have this connection with God. And they're cut off from God's life. And you go, oh, poor person. Well, he says, number one, it's because of the ignorance that is in them. But then he says about the ignorance, but that's because of the hardness of their heart. In other words, they don't know God and they don't want to know God. They want to know something, but when you tell them about God, it's like, mm, no, not that. That's too old-fashioned. That's too old-fashioned, yeah. Or, I want to do something. I want to do something. They want to believe in a fake
1: God. God, not
0: the real God. They would rather, yeah. Because remember I was telling you about that, like Hindus? Remember we were talking about religions when we were at the table? Yeah. And how many gods do Hindus have? Thousands. Thousands. Thousands and thousands of gods in... Remember the study I did this last year when we were looking at different religions and how their challenges to Christianity, how those are affected? And the thing is, their gods fight among each other all the time. In fact, a lot of the, the Hindu books are talking about the wars of their gods, all their gods fighting, and whether this god came out on top or this god came out on top. See? So they would rather believe in all these gods that are warring and fighting and riding on the backs of elephants and all this stuff than to believe in a god that came down here and became one of us to die on the cross for our sins, and to come back to life and offer salvation, not by being good, not by joining church, not by getting baptized, but by simply believing that he did it all. One true God. One true God. And they just, that, that just, it's, it's just, well, right here. With the Mormons. I've shared the gospel with Mormons, and I've just, and it's a, that gospel, in part, they kind of will agree, but it's also offensive to them because they believe God has to let them work for their salvation. It's not fair to just believe. They've told, I've had them tell that to me in their face. God has to let us work. See? And so they believe that God has to let you work for your salvation. And so when they process this information, when you think about all this stuff, when you give them the gospel, they really don't want that gospel. They want something else. They wanna tell you, keep trying hard, keep it up, keep up the good work, keep trying. You'll, you'll make it probably. That's what they wanna hear. This, and I'm, this is true of anybody that's not a believer in Jesus Christ, anybody, wherever they are, no matter what religion they subscribe, subscribe to. They might, subscri- they, might, they might attend a Baptist church. They might, they might attend our church for all I know. Yeah. But if they're thinking they're, that anything other than what Jesus Christ did in that alone saves them, they've nullified the whole gospel. They think the, um the
1: fake gods created
0: them too, not the real God. They're, yes, some of them also believe that. That's right. That's right. Okay. Now, James chapter two, very end of the chapter, James chapter two. I came across a couple of these verses working on this that because uh, I've, I've had this question tossed out before. Do, does the unsaved man have a spirit? And it never says that he doesn't have a spirit. In fact, this verse actually would indicate for as the body separated from the spirit is dead. 26. Verse 26, very last verse of James two. I apologize. James 2, verse 26. For as the body separated from the spirit is dead. When you die, one of the things that happens is your spirit is going to leave your body. They're going to take the body. Peter calls the body a tent. They're going to take that tent down and they're going to do whatever they might choose to do with your tent bury it cremate it whatever it is throw it in the water um, but the spirit's gone that part of you is gone your spirit your spirit departs from this and this is dead this, in the realm of the spirit and the soul you're still alive you're still active in fact we looked at that a couple Sundays ago didn't we that in death there's still a kingdom and there's still activity even in death there's something for you to do Something so much that you can do that Paul says you can be pleasing even in death, you can be pleasing to God. What an opportunity. That when you get to heaven, you're not just gonna lay on a cloud and play a harp. There's activity that you're gonna get to participate in without all the drawbacks and problems that go on down here as part of this life. but the body's dead. And so an unsaved person has a spirit. His spirit just doesn't work right with regard to the things of God. The light's off, the conclusions that come out when it's processed in the mind are, ding, wrong answer from their point of view. They're never, well, from a Christian point of view, yeah, it's should, the wrong answer, I should say. Yeah. Any other questions or comments at this point? This is such an important doctrine to understand I just don't want to blitz through this too fast
1: I have a, a comment I guess it's, it's, it's just that um, you know we're always taught that it's not work that's going to get you to heaven but but somehow it feels like you have to do the work I mean it's, it's just there that feeling that you got to do the work to, to be that person that gets to heaven even though you know that it's not
0: right which, which is a really good illustration, I would say, of why we have to operate with our spirit with regard to God's truth. Because over here, our soul, every, think about this. In, in your experience in life, how many of you get handed what you have in life? It's just people just hand it to you. Here it is. No. you got to work for it. Everything in
1: life. Yeah. If it's, what do they say? If it's... If it's worth, if it's, uh, worth if it's worth having it's worth having
0: it's worth working for yeah
1: and, and honestly if you see this in life it's, it's in this, you can see this in the, the store all the time sometimes you have something that's a really good deal and because it's so cheap people question it <laughs> yeah. uh, it's too cheap you raise the price and all of a sudden it sells it's too good to be true, it's, yeah, it's too good to be true. there's something wrong with it yeah. 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 Well, that's probably like a puppy
0: too you yeah. would give it away it's the I
1: think so what she's talking about would be like um either guilt or your expectation of what you should be doing and feeling like lacking i would agree with that except for it, it seems like um it seems like you you get that feeling of help guilt i mean you just I have a feeling that we need to go. I need to do more. Right. Just do Please. something, whatever. <laughs> and sometimes it's particular things that I feel like I need to be doing. Sure. So in Ephesians 2.10, it says that God has work laid out for us, but um, how God has it laid out isn't how our soul is. It's spirit-leading versus the soul-leading. And after salvation versus being saved. And so, uh, I think another thing, I think John talks about this too, is what we're raised with, all of us are raised differently, and there's things your mom told you and your dad told you, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and, you, and maybe it's attached to religion or not, but you need to do these things, and if you do anything contrary to that, you feel You're that. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. You can still feel your mom or dad saying, this is the right way things are done. Yeah. And sometimes those things go against scripture. And then you learn later in life, that wasn't right. They meant well, but this is the true thing. And then so sometimes, but that doesn't ignore your conscience. Your conscience will still be harmed. Your conscience is harmed by your parents in the world around you. So then the Bible actually says you have to, With your, it says if your heart condemns you, then John. And you have to tell it to shut up. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 So, well, it, and that's,
0: that's kind of what John says over there isn't it
1: so if you bring it full circle to what you're talking about with the Kleenex box okay right. your soul is making you feel like hey I should be doing this that or the other thing your spirit knows better and needs to inform your mind rather than your feelings your soul informing your mind that's right.
0: That yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's look at two verses with regard to what Josh and Ben are saying. I'm going to look at the one. We're going to look at the, this other one first, Romans four. Just as long as we're talking about works here, just for clarity on this. And then we'll go look at the one that Ben was referring to over in Ephesians. <clears throat> it Says in Romans chapter four. I'm going to go to verse one. What then do we say, how how Abraham our father was found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified or declared righteous from his works, that is, he did works and God said, thumbs up, good job, good job, Abe, that's what what you should have done. Well, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what do the scriptures say? Abraham believed God and it was logically credited or counted to him for righteousness. To the one that works, the, the reward or the pay, it is not logically counted according to grace. It's a debt. You work for somebody, they owe you something. Even if it's your dad. <laughs> used to work for my dad. And I always figured, you know, he owed me a little bit of something. I didn't figure he owed me much, but my dad usually paid me pretty well. What? Dinner. D- dinner, yeah. There. Well, there you go. Yeah, you get to eat and have a bed and a roof over your head. Oh, I like that. I like that.
1: Because
0: once I figured out my dad was paying me for working, doing construction work with him in the summer, I started keeping a tally of hours. <laughs> you know. Anyway, but verse 5: But to the one that doesn't work, but believes upon the one who declares righteous the ungodly. I just think that's just an amazing statement. He doesn't declare righteous good people. You know why? Because there isn't any good people. He already told us that back in chapter 3, if we would have read chapter 3 before this. There's nobody good. So he says, declares righteous the ungodly people. And I always just think, this should be shocking to you, but the emphasis when you understand what that ungodly means, that's flipping God the bird. I mean, seriously. I mean, that's what that term meant. It's not just that you just don't like God. It's just you dishonor him. That's the idea of that term. He says, the one that believes on the one who declares righteous the ungodly, his faith is counted to him for righteousness. So in your spirit, you've got to come back. When the soul's going over here going, nah, is this enough? Is this enough? Don't I have to be doing this? You have to come back with your spirit and says, no, God says to the one who doesn't work but believes. And doesn't just believe in a person that's good or trying to. No, believes in a person that just believes. Believes in a God that declares righteous, even ungodly people that are believing in him. Now let's go to the verse that Ben mentioned, Ephesians one or Ephesians two, excuse me. Ephesians two, and this follows right on the heel. I didn't know Romans four or five growing up, but I knew Ephesians two two eight. I knew Ephesians two eight nine. Quote this one like back of my hand, as probably from the time I was eight and nine years old. It says in verse eight, Ephesians two eight. For by grace you're saved through faith. This isn't from yourself, it's God's gift, and it's not from works, so that no one can boast. Pretty much the same thing Paul just said over in Romans 4, 4 5 This is you are having been
1: saved.
0: Right, but we're not we're, we're going to keep it simple at the moment. I know you do. Yeah, it's, it is really good to break it out. But then he says, and then this is what Ben was getting at, for we then are his workmanship, his product, his what he has done, having been created in Christ Jesus then, for good works which God has previously prepared for us that we might walk in them. In other words, when you have believed in him, now God has a, shall we say, this is passe. He's got a calendar on the phone and every day is filled with appointments for you. You may meet some of those appointments, some of them you may get busy and you may not meet some of those. But he's got things scheduled. He's got good works that he planned for you and he planned them here Previous, Even before you believed, he got those works ready for you. But they're only ready for those who are believing. So only believers are the ones that actually do real, genuine, good works. And doesn't say we do them all the time, just as God got them ready for us.
1: So when you're walking to them, or walking, doing them, is that kind of like walking in the Spirit type
0: thing? I would say it goes hand in hand with that. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Because if you're not walking in the Spirit, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I went to my office today. I went to my office today with like five or six things in my mind. I was going to get these done so that I could be ready to go help Dwight um, adjust forms and straighten them out before we pour concrete up there. And so I've, I've got all this thing on my agenda. And then my phone rings, and um, this uh, this gentleman Joe uh, that he's on with us tonight, I believe. Yeah, he's on. He, uh, Uh, from California, and he calls. And we talked for an hour and a half on the phone. And you know, there's a part of me that at one time would have said, I've got stuff to do. (laughs) I don't have time to sit around and talk with people. But my wife's really been encouraged me for a long time. You know what? Taking time for people is sometimes the thing that God's schedule. I am, I add on my schedule this, but God's schedule over here said this. And I appreciate that about, I'll pick on Ben and Josh here. You go down to the store, I know those guys got like 100 things on their agenda that they've got to attend to down there. But most of the time, if I stop down there, they will take time to visit with me. Sometimes probably more time than they should. (laughs) Because they're probably getting behind on other things. But I appreciate that they'll take some time to to talk with me. Uh, Whether it's talking about the weather or talking about something of... used to be the (laughs) time. Yeah, and since you don't come by and sell Pepsi to them anymore, then they have to talk to me now. Yeah.
1: Are we talking about Pepsi part of the
0: time. <laughs> you, you have mentioned that. Yeah. Josh is still always trying to sell me. Hey, we you want to see this new coffee bar thing that we've got here. Anyway. So, I did it under the Lord. Under the Lord. I'm sure you did, Josh. I'm sure you did. So this is in the realm of your spirit. Now I want to look, I'm gonna look at just one passage on soul before we end tonight here. I'm gonna look at one passage on soul. I've got a whole bunch of things we haven't even got to tonight yet. But I want you to turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter one. 1 Peter chapter one. I know my wife's waiting for me to give the verse, but I have to figure out which one I'm gonna to go to. Let's go to verse three. We'll start back up in verse three. 1 Peter chapter one in verse three. And actually, I think we're going to look at two verses over here in First Peter, because the other one maybe will illustrate why this is important for us. So follow along in your Bibles, beginning with verse 3. And by the way, uh, uh, if for those of you that are taking Greek, this is really a hard passage. It's not a hard passage to translate. It's a hard tra- passage to figure out what to do, because it doesn't have main verbs. So it's frustrating, because you're like, that's what you base your stuff on when you're working on Greek because you're always looking for the main verb as a starting point. But anyway, verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has regenerated, that's a form of that word to be born from above that we had over in, uh, used by Jesus over in John 3, unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, it's a living hope because you got life when you were born anew. To an inheritance that is, Uncorruptible. That means it doesn't decay. They're not going to go pull this out of Granny's attic. Hey, Tim, you inherited this, and they open the box and they pick it up, and moths have eaten the thing, or worms got in and ate it all up. You know, uh, it doesn't decay. It's undefiled. Nobody spilled grease or stuff on it. It's not fading. It's not fading. I have things. I had. Um, Crayola watercolors a long time ago. And I like to do watercolor paintings. And if you've got good watercolors, they stick. But I remember having cheap Crayola watercolors a long time ago. You know what they do over time? Not all of them. They fade. you got this thing. Oh, this is so great. You come back and look at it. Mmm. <laughs> doesn't look as good as it once did. He says, your inheritance, it doesn't, it doesn't corrupt, it doesn't break down, it's not defiled, it's, not, it's, not, uh, it's unfading, and it is being kept secure in the heavens for you. You, who are by God's power, being guarded. So it's not just that the, the inheritance is kept safe, but you also are being guarded by God's power uh, for a salvation, or through faith, for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm waiting for most of my salvation in the future yet. In which we greatly exalt or we get a little bit happily giddy is kind of the idea. Even though for now, for a little while, we're put to grief by various kinds of temptations. That the proving or the genuineness of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, that perishes. Gold, isn't gold one of the few metals that to modern man's knowledge does not tarnish? Silver tarnishes, doesn't it, Peggy? Because when they used to get the silver out for company, Peg and her sisters had to sit and they had to polish the silver for company. But gold? (laughs) We're going to talk to your wife about that one. (laughs) Uh, Okay. By, you know, anyway. No so he says, it's more, pr- more precious or more valuable than gold that perishes, even though it is being put to the test by fire, that it should be found to the praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, I believe that's true for every one of us. Has every one of us performed admirably 100% of the time? No. no. Like Have we? No. <laughs> Who said that?
1: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: But I, I, I actually am confident. I think all believers have performed admirably, at least under some circumstance in their Christian life. Okay, I think there's biblical evidence for that. That doesn't mean that we always end well, but it has shown up at times. Verse 8. It says, whom having not seen, that is, Peter's writing to a group of people, Most they've never seen Christ. Peter had, but most of these people hadn't. But he says, whom having not seen, you love, and whom, no, you still don't see him, but you're believing, which kind of goes along with the definition of believing, faith means that's involved in something you don't see, according to Hebrews 11.1. 1. But you are giddy. Is there a giddiness when you look, think about getting something? We're going down to Walla Walla to see our girls and hang out with them this weekend. And I get giddy a few times during this week going, oh, I can't wait to get together with the girls and with my granddaughter and so on and so forth. He says, you're giddy with a joy that's inexpressible, a kind of joy that's so exciting that it's hard to articulate, a joy having been glorified. And when you look forward to it, this time where you're looking forward to this with this, this time that it's gonna be unveiled, he says that we obtain The end or the completion of our faith, the salvation of our souls. In other words, at the end of verse seven, he said Christ is gonna be unveiled. That's when Jesus Christ comes out of heaven and he comes back to get us. And when he comes back to get us, he doesn't just change our body, he's gonna change this too. In fact, according to this, this is the last thing that's actually saved. Now, I would... That's from a logical point of view. From point, from another point of view, if you go to First Corinthians 15, he says it all happens in the twinkling of an eye, which I don't know what that is. I've heard people say it's the time that it takes for light to hit the back of the eye and twinkle off, so that you get that brief twinkle in an eye. I don't know if that's exactly what it it's is. Faster than that, probably, probably faster than that. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Clayton. it is. So they're both going to be saved in that time simultaneously when he comes back. In any last part of this that needs to be clean as we at the end this also and this is one thing we'll have to come back and deal with next week but these are going to be saved in when he returns for us which means right now that your feelings and your senses and the soul is not saved which means that you have to we're going to see some verses when we come back next week that are going to tell us that we need to sometimes get our soul in line we need to say no you're not taking me for a walk i'm taking you for a walk you ever do that with a dog and if it's really big, it tries to take you for a walk. Uh, our soul can be that way. Now, I wanted to look just, to, I said one, I was, this was going to be it, but I thought of one other example I want you to see. Uh, chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll look at this. I've got to mark this one to remember. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 when you get there. You mean 2 Peter 2? 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11. He says, beloved, I encourage you as aliens and exiles. That's the way my interlinear translates that. Um, Peg and I point, noticed this, and I don't know if this is the case around here, but have you noticed that the farm workers, when you go downtown, you hardly ever see them without a mask. People like me, I'm lazy. I rarely wear a mask. But they wear them all the time. And my wife's asked, I wonder if sometimes they do that because they're afraid that if they don't wear a mask that maybe they'll lose their job or if they're like an H-2A worker, they're going to get sent back and they'll lose their job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so think about that. In a certain sense, in that regard, for those people that are like H-2A workers, they're aliens and exiles. They're living and working someplace that is not their home. And so he says, beloved, I encourage you to abstain from fleshly lusts. In other words, those people, they, I know they have to behave, because I've talked to some people that have H two A workers, and they say they don't deal with they don't deal with the drunken parties, they don't deal with the drug issues, they don't have all this these problems that that they've dealt with persistently over the years. And they said, and the the people come and they work hard, and they like that, because those people have to abstain from at least from our, from society's version of the worst of the fleshly lusts. <laughs> Doesn't mean they don't have any, just like you and I, but they, they're not ex- exhibiting the worst. But he's talking to us as Christians and he says, you know, when we're down here, this isn't our home, people. We are travelers here. We are passing through. We're waiting for our Lord to come back and take us home one day. And as we're living down here, he says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which act as a soldier or war against your soul. Now why do they come against the soul? Let's use an example. One of the fleshly lusts is fornication. And if you had a King James Bible, because it had it based off a different Greek text, they added one word before fornication, and it's the word adultery. But even if we don't have adultery in that list, it's included under the umbrella of fornication. And I just always think when you look at that, when a person's being tempted to commit adultery, Does that appeal to the spirit and go, here are all the rational reasons that, Tim, you should cheat on your wife. I've got a list of 10 rational reasons why you should cheat on your wife. Doesn't do that. It appeals to your senses and your soul. She doesn't appreciate me. She just doesn't love me. She doesn't know how I feel and uh, and all that stuff. And it appeals to that. And this person does, oh, you know. And it's it's a soul thing. So the fleshly lust, it appeals over here to the soul. How many times, I've told you about working in the warehouse when I was in college, mostly, some of you haven't heard this story yet, so you gotta hear it again. The other people have, but I worked in a warehouse when I was in college for two and a half years, and I worked with these guys, and every Friday night, they say, hey Tim, you wanna go with us down to the bar? Well, I wasn't really into that kind of stuff at all, and so I never went with them, and of course, then I had a girlfriend to get back to, and eventually a wife. And so I, last thing in the world I wanted to go down. But those guys, we had to in the summertime, and we had to come in on Saturday mornings. Two of those guys I worked with, almost every Saturday morning would come in with a hangover, and they're walking around in the warehouse, and they're like, oh, oh. And I heard them say this more Saturday mornings. I am never doing that again. <laughs> and guess we, I just sit there after a while. I was like, well, good for you. And then the next week, I'm like, okay, I don't believe it anymore never. because you do. Th- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, but, but, but again, if rationally, there wasn't anything wrong with those guys going down the bar. There was nothing wrong with those guys going down there and having a beer. What was wrong, what was foolish for those guys was to go down there and drink to excess. That's what was foolish. And, they, and that was not something that in their spirits said these are the top 10 reasons that rationally it makes sense to, to really just drink way too much. It was an appeal to their soul. They're having a good time. It feels good. They're just, see? So we, and both of those are works of the flesh. Drunkenness is a work of the flesh at one end. Adultery is a work of the flesh at the other end. And they're a good illustration of how because your soul's not saved, the sin nature of the flesh, it's not stupid. It doesn't come and attack your spirit that, where things make sense. It comes and appeals to the soul where you feel. Yeah, and thanks me, you, know. I have no idea what you're talking
1: about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, yes, I do. I was, jo- I was joking, Clayton. No, I, serious, ser- yeah. That, that's seriously, that's a, that's a real good example. Yeah, because it's one I deal with every single day, almost every single day. Yeah, you do, yeah. If one scoop was enough, three scoops is better, right? Yeah, exactly
1: right. <laughs> well when the ice cream container says don't stop till you get to the bottom. Uh-huh. <laughs> Obey men. <laughs> if you haven't
0: seen that, the the Tillamook peanut butter ice cream pints that we buy that we like to eat, it always has a saying on there and it does say that. Every once in a while you open this? it up and that's the saying on top of the foil. Don't stop don't stop till the spoon hits the bottom, yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, hopefully, hopefully, as we've gone through this tonight, and we're going to come back, we're going to look at, we're going to look at some more on this because I, I, really think this is a, a very good topic. Like I said, it's helped me tremendously. Um, uh, in fact, there was a, you know, anyway, it doesn't make any difference. I think this will, ha- I think this is very helpful. It was good for me going back and working on this, reviewing and studying this again. This is picture a diagram very vaguely very roughly of kind of what you are like you have a spirit you have a soul you have a body you have been saved or born anew in the realm of your spirit this is joined to god these parts can have positive effects they can there can be positive things happen we'll come back and look at that but they're not saved yet so they have limitations They have limitations and that's what we're trying to trying to understand is that there's some limitations here especially limitations over here Usually, this isn't the, as much of an issue as understanding the limitation that we have here. The
1: body and the
0: yes, yes. Okay, let me. I have a chat here. What was the third initial question? I don't know.
1: <laughs> All, Allie asked what
0: the third initial question was, and I don't recall. I I apologize, Mm -hmm. I really, (laughs)